In today's episode, I interview Heather Sweeney, a deeply inspiring mental fitness coach that walks us through her climb up Mount Kilimanjaro. From making her decision to preparing to the arduous climb, she details all of the challenges she faced and how she braved through some of the darkest moments to reach the summit. She provides some wonderful insight on how to train your mind to unlock your path to success. Heather, I'm so excited to have you here. Welcome to Multispective. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So, Heather, why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Okay. So, I am somebody who loves connecting with other individuals. I love inspiring and motivating people to realize they're capable of much more than they think in their mind. I work as a mental fitness coach and this work allows me to empower individuals to reduce stress, anxiety, overwhelm, mental fatigue by teaching them tools that they can use proactively every day to just experience better outcomes day to day more often than not. Right. Um, it, this work is all about progress, never perfection. That's so interesting. So would you say it's something like you're teaching people to build better habits and drop maybe negative ones? That is definitely part of the work. It's a lot to do with mindset. And we work through specific skill sets because, for example, gratitude is a big one. We hear a lot about gratitude. And I joke often that you could tell somebody or somebody could say to me, just be grateful. Yeah. <laughs> but what does that mean? And how, how can I be grateful? What are different ways to practice that skill and then build that into your day-to-day -day experience and lean into the good in that example? Oh, that's awesome. I love that. And you know, what you're really doing is just dialing it back to the most basic form of what it means to be human almost. It's like, these are things that we teach. I mean, I'm, I'm a grade two teacher here and I teach my grade oh, wow. two students this, right? Personal growth. Part of that is teaching appreciation and gratitude. Um, But it's every single time when I teach it, it's like a reminder to myself as well. Yeah, I think we're often, I think most humans <laughs> that I run into are really busy doing, 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 rushing, rushing, rushing. And we are human beings and we are allowed to at times just be. So the reminder to help people, like you said, sort of dial it back to the foundation of who we are. Um, and just remember that when we take the time to slow down in our day intentionally, and that doesn't mean it has to be stressful and take a lot of time to do these things. It's just a matter of creating these little spaces in your experience day to day where you can slow down and remember, oh, I have breath. Let me lean into that. Mm. <laughs> oh, everything isn't terrible. This amazing thing really did happen today. Yeah. So really, I liked to slow everything down and get really clear. Wow, I love that. Yeah, and I see how like appreciation ties well into that as well, because and you really look around just at the most simplest things and just, you know, appreciate that I can breathe. Yeah. <laughs> right? Oh. We're doing it all day. We just yeah, forget. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm very much a city girl, born and raised in the city, and I've always been living in a, in a city. And like, I, yeah, just you, you get so easily just like thrust into that rat race. And then it just keeps going and it keeps going. And then next thing you realize, like years have gone by and you're like, where did all my time go? So it's really <laughs> nice to have this every once in a while. You know what? You are, this is so normal. Yeah. <laughs> this is the world we live in. And yeah. again, it's just about heightening your own awareness. Because once you see, once you notice, oh, wow. Let's just use the example. If I was in Boston and I was taking the subway somewhere, right? And that's my day today. I'm on a subway, on a bus, I'm walking. There's people everywhere that's this rush, rush, rush. Well, maybe on the subway, instead of rushing and thinking about all the things I need to do that day or the meeting that's coming up, I take the five-minute train ride or whatever it is, and I use that time that I already have in my day 
to just create space for me. I focus on my breath. I do a, I call it a brain dump. I write down everything swirling in my mind and get it out of my head. It's right there on paper for when I need it. So using the time we have and inserting these opportunities to just create that place that's a little bit calmer and doing it as best you can, because we're all going to have days that don't go that way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They're going to be rushed. They're going to be busy. You're going to be stressed, right? But if you can do it more often than not, that's where the progress comes in. I love that. And you and your story is quite amazing in that sense, because you have had personal experience with mind over matter and with really putting into practice that, you know, being in the moment, pushing yourself also emotionally and spiritually, but also at the same time, like feeling every minute of that. And so I really want to go a little bit more into exploring you. Let's explore (laughs) what it means. Yeah. (laughs) Like, how do you live by this motto? Um, I didn't always, but that's why I love getting to do this work now, right? I feel like when we learn things in this life, when we pick up knowledge or skills or information, the best thing we can do is share that with other people, especially when it's information or knowledge or experiences that helped you in some way, because chances are somebody else in this world will also hear that message and receive it and resonate with it and feel something in, you know, in a good way um, that sort of moves them or inspires them or motivates them or just simply says, oh, I'm not the only one. I'm not alone in thinking this or feeling this or experiencing this. So I would say it's been about six years where I've really heavily been in this world of practicing heightened awareness in terms of being mindful of myself, my body, my mind, my emotions, regulating my thoughts and emotions. I was married for almost 10 years, maybe nine, somewhere in there, and and ended up going through a divorce. That was a turning point for me. Um, There were some other things that led up to that in my life where I sort of took a stand for what I wanted, but I spent many, many, many years of my life kind of just doing the things that felt the easiest, the safest, the things that I thought other people felt were best for me. And therefore I also did without really thinking, what is it that you want, Heather? What will make you happy? Um, What feels aligned and good and right to you? So I began making these shifts. And I think the culmination of that was my divorce. And I really went into a space of rebuilding life. And it's been not without challenges, but I wouldn't change a thing because I've been able to really intentionally say yes or no to things. Do you believe that pushing yourself to, do you think that that's an important aspect that humans need to experience? I think first and foremost is like, if you're not living, you're dying, right? If you're not growing in nature, just let's use that example. What are you doing? You're withering and eventually you're going to pass on. I think you can grow to a point when you live in that safe space of only what you know. But at some point, a seed that we plant has to eventually sprout. Otherwise, it stays below ground and experiences no more growth. Yeah, that's so cool. So you talked a little bit about mental fitness. And I'm, I'm really, really intrigued by, you know, your experience that you had that you really, really, you know, challenged yourself and pushed yourself back in the past. And I really want to dig deeper into that. So Mount Kilimanjaro. Tell us a little bit about what set this idea for you, what triggered you to want to do this in the first place. So my son in 2019, he brought home a library book and him and my daughter and I sat before bed and read this book. It was about the seven summits. So that's the seven highest peaks across the traditional continents. One of them is Kilimanjaro. So we're reading this book and we flip the page and here's Mount Kilimanjaro. My son's reading all about it. And I'm like, like my head goes right to the image. And I'm thinking, what is pulling me to this? Did I see this somewhere? Like something is familiar and I just couldn't place it. So I put them to bed and I could have 
forgotten that and gone about my evening and gone off to sleep. But my intuition was really up and I thought, okay, hold on. So I got on actually the same computer I'm on right now. And I went to the history and I realized, oh my gosh, I, at some point, well before that evening, had visited the Leukemia Lymphoma Society's Climb to Cure website. So they have a program called Climb to Cure. There's a variety of different treks that are available, but one of them is Mount Kilimanjaro. And I said, that's it. It happened in, in my memory, minutes. I see this on the page. I realize I must have been here because it's in my history, right? No recall of an active search. And I remember just sitting back in my chair, closing my eyes, and I could just see myself on that summit. So like it was real. I could just see it. I literally knew nothing else. I wasn't thinking about, well, how will I fundraise or what's the training or what kind of gear? Where is this place? It was just this visualization connection, this pull. And then I literally opened an email and I emailed the head of the program and I said, hi, my name is Heather. I would love to climb with your team in the fall of 2020. This was just before COVID happened. So who knew (laughs) that that was coming, right? right? And about a week later, I was telling my girlfriend, hey, I'm gonna climb this mountain. This is crazy. Like, I don't know, Like Jack brought this book home. And she's like, that's so cool. Where is it? And I looked at her and I said, (laughs) I don't don't know. (laughs) I said, well, I know it's in Africa, but I have no idea. (laughs) So it just, I laugh now because I really, when she asked the question, that's when I realized you probably want to look into where you're going to be traveling to. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of how it began. (laughs) Wow. So it's like, you visualized it. Do you believe that visualizing manifested this whole thing? Um, I am. Okay. <laughs> so again, for the listeners, depending where you stand on things, you have probably already realized I am in that woo energy space, right? So I, I really do believe that nothing is a coincidence. I do believe even in the most difficult situations that we experience things exactly how we're meant to for a reason. And that's really, really hard in a lot of cases in the moment. But I, at some point in my experience, I have always learned, whoa, I understand now why I went through that, right? I'm also a very visual person. So when something clicks for me, if I can see it, if I can feel it, if it's like real with my eyes closed, I know I'm doing it. I have just learned this over the years. The best way to describe this for me is there's there's a click. There's a connection that I get. And it's like you're buckled in, almost like a car seat. You you listen for that click, right? When you're buckling a child into a car seat and you know, okay, they're in. And you have to trust that they're safe and that worked. There's you're good to drive now. For me, it's the click of intuition. And that visualization and just seeing it and knowing there's many times that I will say no to things because I'll try (laughs) to see it and feel it. And I'm like, I just, it's no, it's not there for me. (laughs) Um, But this was by far the kind of the wildest thing that I committed to based on that. And honestly, since I'm just like all in with this. (laughs) Right. I can imagine. Yeah. Like that being one of those like absolute driving forces. Like if that could result in me doing that, then that can result in me doing anything. Right. Yeah. It's so funny because when I was leading up to this track, when I got home, even now, I summited in February of 2021. So just two years, a little more than two years ago. Even now, people will say, oh, that is simply amazing. I could never do that. Yeah. And I have to stop them and say, you could do that. Yeah. First of all, you have to kind of want to do this, right? You're not just going to say, oh, yeah, I could. So let's just do this. It's like a, there's yeah. a commitment. But really, when we were going through preparation, I traveled through a company called Embark Exploration out of Portland, Oregon. They had some previous members from Leukemia Lymphoma Society Climb to Cure, other hikers, 
who would come on and chat with us for these like preparation calls about gear and what to expect and different things. And I think there was like four that we had experiences with. Three, I remember distinctly, three of those four echoed one thing that was the same. And it was this, this climb will be, it is any, like their percentages were different, but it was anywhere from 85 to 95% mental, not physical. So yes, clearly there is a physical aspect, but it is the mental strength and resilience that is so necessary that if you have that, sign up. sign up or work with me and I'll get you there. (laughs) Yeah. Looking back, do you agree with that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I am emphatic about this having experienced it now. Um, there were moments of (laughs) you think, you know, Oh, are my legs moving anywhere? Am I going as slow as I think right now? And everybody around me is going real fast. Like what's happening here? Am I dreaming? There's these moments where the higher you get, altitude starts to play a bit with you. And for me, I describe it, there's moments that are like a dream. I know they were real, but it's this dreamlike sensation. And then there's moments that are so solidified in my mind, I could tell you every single detail of them. So it's those moments where I could tell you every detail. Many of them are moments where I really was focusing on stay in the right mindset. Use the tools you know to keep your focus on moving forward, not going to the body, right? The my my hands are cold. Do I have fingers anymore? <laughs> like <laughs> Right. Yeah. Just constantly reframing and coming back to if I can control my thoughts, I can control my mind and I can keep myself right here. And this is one step at a time. Yeah. Like a classic example of, you know, being in the present moment. Oh, yeah. Kind of just like uh, what you said earlier. Yeah. It, it is actually structured that way with the guides. Um, and I realized this at some point into this trek. So it's six days up the mountain, two days down. Right. So those maybe like day three or four, I was like, this is yeah. all by design, right? Like, of course it is, but you're not yeah. thinking that going into it or I wasn't. Um, but I remember they, people get curious. So we're like day three, day two, day four, wherever we are. And they're asking, so what do you think tomorrow will be like? Or what do you think we'll have for dinner tonight? Or how about the weather on summit day? And the guides would constantly do that work to reframe people and bring them back to we're here now. We're walking here now. They would say pole, pole, slowly, slowly in Swahili. And it was this reminder, slowly, slowly, meaning you're going to walk real slow. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you will appreciate and understand why once you've experienced this. But also slow down. You're right here. The only thing that matters when you are summoning that mountain in the dark of night, we were in the middle of a blizzard. It's pitch black. I don't know where I'm going. I've never been here, right? The only thing that matters is the next step. You need to be right there for it. The body needs rest (laughs) in order to sustain, right? So we're climbing Kilimanjaro day in and day out. But I'm going to specifically go to summit night, right? No different than the other days, except a little bit different because of the altitude, the conditions, all these things. We intentionally took several breaks on the way up that mountain, several. And we had to, because had we not, it took me three times as long to get a Snickers bar out of a pocket that was zipped at 17, 18,000 feet high in the sky than it would take me here in New Hampshire today (laughs) for many reasons, right? (laughs) So when you were, you know, leading up to the moments or leading up to the, the climb, can you tell us like what was what was training like for you? How how long did you train for? What were your hours like? What were your rest days like? You know, yeah, what walk us through that. So they gave us like a I think it was a 16 week training plan. I I opened it a week before I flew out. <laughs> oh my god. So 
I didn't use that plan. Um, I know there was two gentlemen that we hiked with that did use that plan, but I wasn't the only person who didn't. So I'll be really honest here. I was leaning into the, the headspace piece. I was doing a ton of visualization. I was doing a lot of meditation. I was doing a lot of mindset work for myself because again, intuitively, I just felt the pull like go there. That's where you could strengthen a muscle for this, if anywhere. And then these three or four people had sort of hit that point home when they shared with us, this is more mental than physical, et cetera. The background too is prior to this, I had been a marathon runner. I had run seven marathons, many half marathons. I was cardiovascularly. I felt good from a mindset perspective. I felt strong in my body and that doesn't mean I didn't train physically. I did. I did do a lot of yoga. I did do a lot of um, hikes in the White Mountains here in New Hampshire. So around like 4,000 footers, a little above that with a weighted pack, 30 to 40 pounds. I would do walks in my town for sometimes a couple of miles, sometimes 15 miles. And I would wear a weighted pack with my boots just to get a feel for gear and weight and things. But I wasn't following like a strict physical plan. And that probably would have been really, really different if I didn't have the background that I did have at that time. Right. But I felt for me personally, the benefit that I was going to get would be to work in my headspace and really make sure that I was solid there. Because if that was going to unravel, everything else didn't matter. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, this is this is a good little like side note for listeners. You know, if any any of you are planning to do a hike like this, you know, still pay attention to the physical aspect of the yes. physical side of it. Yes, it's you're not going to get off the couch after pounding yeah. beer and eating pizza and doing nothing for your life. Um, yeah. So yeah, you, you do need to be physically prepared. It is not easy on the body. Um, mm. there was, I will say this though, we had a just wonderful man, Daryl, he hiked with us in honor of his wife that had passed and I might get this wrong, but I believe that he was 67 at the time of the hike around there. He had had a one knee replacement. His other knee was no, not, he would say, my knee's no good. My knee's hurt. He made it up and back down really without much issue. So the body will do what the mind believes. Right. Um, but to your point, if you're listening, please don't try to run up Kilimanjaro with zero <laughs> physical training. It is not going to go well. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> what about the mental training then for you? You said, you know, there was yoga. What, what else? Like walk us through some of the mental training that you did. Sure. Um, mine was a lot of, so again, going into the woo, <laughs> um, <laughs> I worked with an energy healer. So I, this is very far out for many people, but this, this journey, as I call it to and back from Kilimanjaro, it really felt like a spiritual journey for me. There was obviously mental, there was obviously physical, but it was like, I was just pulled to this experience. And when I shared the story earlier, it's a library book, like what? I didn't know where I was going, right? I just sort of had this trust and this knowing like the dominoes will fall. This is all going to work. So I did do some energy healing work. I did a lot of meditation and or, or meditation with visualization. It was just a lot of mantras, like positive affirmations. I was just grabbing my finger. I had these rings made when I got back. Um, there's three of them with obsidian in each and it's obsidian that I picked up off of the mountain and this beautiful jeweler up in Maine who I happen to have connected with before this was able to create these rings and inside each band is a different affirmation that I was repeating over and over and it came from before when I was preparing myself and it was I am safe I am loved I am guided and that was part of the mental preparation for me I just I, I'd like to lean into I am statements that will support whatever it is I might be doing. So whether it's I'm capable of anything, I'm prepared for this meeting, I'm going to experience this day with ease. In this case, those were really the big three. And then seeing in my mind's eye 
that ease of experience. Mind you, I had no idea what I was really going to see, right? I've never been to (laughs) Africa, let alone Tanzania, let alone this mountain. Mm. So I didn't know. So it wasn't about the details of of this plant or this path. It was just the sense of there is ease here. My body is capable. I am capable of healing. Those were the things that I kept repeating. And then Really, it was the summit that I was able to visualize. I think probably from pictures I had seen. The real experience, though, does not compare <laughs> yeah. to what I visualized or what I had right. seen in books. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I was just about to ask you, like, actually doing that climb, were there, like, any moments that were synonymous to your your visualization like did it ever feel like deja vu like i've been here before i i was there in my visualization moments i don't know deja vu so much but there was a certain comfort that came for me with as you're climbing hiking each day you're getting closer to the summit but it's still very far away <laughs> for the first few days it's like way in the distance right. like oh yeah there it is cool we're i'm, I'm this close right but I'm going to be on that. (laughs) Like, I'm going to be there. So the familiarity, I think, that I had sort of created in my mind with that summit that I could then see with my own two eyes instead of imagining it was comforting. I don't know that there were moments where I went, oh, I've been here before, like I would with a deja vu experience. But I do know that it became almost a running joke, specifically with one of the girls that was hiking with us. I would see these heart rocks, specifically heart rocks, everywhere along the trail. I noticed it from the beginning, and it was just like, oh, me and my kids have a thing where like, oh, there's a heart rock. Oh, there's this at the beach, right? So I saw them right away, and then it was to the point like day three, I would say, she's like, how many did you see today? I said, I don't know. I stopped counting at 139. (laughs) Like They were littering the trails, and I just was like, Obviously, I'm on the right path. Like, I am safe. I am loved. And I am clearly guided right Right. now. (laughs) Wow, that's so amazing. Can you just like walk me through like the very, very beginning? So you enter, you, you reach that first spot. What's going through your mind? What do you see? So we took a bus to the first gate. The route that we took was the Lamosho route. And so in total, it was 42 miles, six days up to the summit, and then two days descending back down. So we take this bus and we get dropped at the first gate, which was essentially a trail in the middle of the woods at the end of a dirt road. (laughs) Um, And I was like, okay, I guess here we go, right? This is where we're going to start. And it really was that simple. We just started putting one foot in front of the other and moving. And before I knew it, I was like, oh, wow, okay, this trail is opening up. And it's starting to get very humid. There was a threat of rain. So we were like, oh, geez, we're already going to need rain gear. Like, here here we are. Now we are in it. And we're actually on the trail, which was extremely exciting. And also, there was a piece of me, I remember thinking, I have no idea what is coming next because I have never done this. (laughs) So an element of excitement, but also not really nerves. I I think honestly, more wonder and trust in our guides. We were really lucky. We had three guides. Typically you have one, maybe two, but because we went in the middle of COVID, there weren't many groups climbing at all. And so three guides came together and I feel very grateful to have met all of them. And they would rotate each day who was the lead guide for that day and that hike. So it was it was really, it was very interesting, very fun. Wow. And you said it was starting to get humid. So before that, what was the weather like? What was the time of the day as well? Yeah, so it must have been afternoon when we started hiking that first day because by the time we reached our first camp, it was approaching sunset. We were actually watching the sunset right as we stepped up over into the first camp. So I don't know exactly the time, but I do remember it was very warm. It was very humid. It didn't rain. So that was great. (laughs) Um, We did have weather later in the trip, but early on, we were extremely fortunate to have near perfect temperatures. 
I live in Fahrenheit, so <laughs> um, that's how my mind works. But it ranged anywhere from in the beginning, probably low 80s or so to in the end, we were below zero the night that we summited. Wow. Would you say like it was quite extreme sort of temperatures like in the night it was like really? <laughs> it got really cool at night, um, but it was more one day to the next noticing the shift in the weather. The higher we climbed and the different climate zones that we moved through, the weather, you definitely noticed that shift. Um, yes, it got cooler at night, much cooler than during the day, but it wasn't until probably day four or even day five, right before that summit experience where it got very, very chilly. Um, we experienced some um, like icy rain some sleet. And then the summit night, it was a blizzard. I mean, it was just absolutely snow was everywhere. <laughs> oh yeah, so yeah, I mean, there were extremes from day one to the end, but it was really more of a day to day gradual shift. Right, right. So you reached the first base, you camped out there for a night for that whole night? Yes. So Again, you, you're moving up for six days. So each day you move to a different camp. It was all about acclimatizing. And so each day we'd go up a little bit more, a little bit more. There was a day, though, that we went up to what's called the Lava Tower, which is at about 15,000 feet. And that was the first day where more than one person, it was obvious that the altitude was starting to hit us. Um, and that was the one day where we would hike. We, I think we went from 12 or 13,000 feet up to 15. We had lunch and then we came back down to that same camp and stayed there for the evening. That was the day for me where I was like, okay, this is getting real. <laughs> like people around me are beginning to experience the altitude. I was feeling it as we approached the lava tower. Um, you could just feel like my legs felt heavier my lungs felt heavier. I was moving much slower. Um, but I remember repeating that mantra that I had, I am safe, I am loved, I am guided, and just thinking, ole pole, slowly, slowly, yeah. as they say, yeah. I'll get there. <laughs> well, what did altitude sickness look like for the others, for some of the others? Was it quite different for everyone? Um, so there was one individual specifically, I remember, she was really, really nauseous, headache. That was a big one for a lot of people. I definitely experienced mild headaches the last day, day and a half before we summited. Um, but for most, it was nausea, diarrhea, headaches, chills for some people. Those were the big ones that our team anyway experienced. I've heard that some people experience like disorientation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> on summit night, um, actually, this is making me think of this. A friend of mine was, we were already moving up the mountain and we were at like our first or maybe our second break point. And <laughs> one of my friends, I looked at him and I was like, oh, his lips are like a little bit blue, but it is really cold, right? And then he started talking to me and I said, you sound like you're drunk right now. What are you talking about? <laughs> Oh so God. it was, yes, it was the sense of slight disorientation. Nobody on our team experienced that to an extreme, but I will say, I remember our guides telling us after we summited and came back to base camp, as we were like packing up and having lunch, we'd had people at the top of the mountain say to us, when is the Uber coming? How long do we have to wait? So they, they knew like at that point, it's like, we're going to go down now. The yeah. Uber's not coming. Like. <laughs> Oh my god. So that is certainly a possibility, but thankfully with our group, we didn't have those extremes that were experienced, which was a blessing for sure. Yeah. Would you say that was the toughest part of the climb for you? The altitude changes and experiencing that, or was there something else, anything in specific you can remember was really, really difficult? The altitude was it made me feel a little bit anxious each day as I would hit a new altitude, right? It, these I had never been so high. And so I remember thinking, I don't know how my body will respond. That's the funny thing with altitude, right? You could be at 15,000 feet for one experience and have no issues. And then another day, 
hit that altitude and experience it totally differently. So you don't necessarily know until you're there. But I, I remember a couple of things. I remember the guides saying, make sure you're eating your meals because that with the nausea that can come with it, it can be hard to eat. And so then if you're not eating, you're not getting nutrients to fuel your body and keep you strong, right? So making sure to eat your meals and stay hydrated. So the rule of thumb was about three liters of water a day. And every meal, it was like, it was, I remember thinking like, this is drilled in my head. I'm eating everything they put on my plate and I'm drinking at least three and a half to four liters of water a day. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to hit these marks that they've given me because it made me personally feel like those are things I have some control over. So if I'm doing these, I'm improving my odds, at least in my own mind of doing better, experiencing this with more ease in some way. So yeah, you know, each day we'd go higher and I would wonder, Ooh, how's, how's this going to feel? How am I going to do? And then I would realize I'm doing just fine. Just remain calm, continue to breathe and go slow. That was really the key. The first day we all wanted to like run up the mountain and the guides were like, okay, all right, Americans, like, what are you doing? (laughs) And we realized the first day we were not running anywhere. (laughs) So yeah, take it, you know, take it slow, remain calm. So truly, I don't think the altitude was the most challenging thing for me. I think it was the, there were points two in particular on summit night, which were definitely my most challenging points of the entire hike. In in my experience, like the way I would describe this, those two portions of the summit night made the rest of the days look like cake. In just in my own experience. And I I truly don't I think that many of the other people I hiked with would probably agree that there were points that evening that were that sort of pushed them further than they had been pushed. Right. You reckon, is that because of the blizzard that was kicking in? I think it was the culmination of everything, right? So like I, I kept a blog when I experienced this and I was doing it almost in real time, not in real time, but very soon after we would get to a camp or descend from the summit, I was writing because it was so fresh. And when I wrote about coming out of my tent that night of the summit night. It was like a maybe 1030 at night or so. And I come out of the tent. First of all, I'm stuffed into so many layers that I was just like, am I going to even be able to walk right now? (laughs) I I hadn't had to wear all of that until then because of the weather. I could hear the wind just whipping outside the tent and I already felt cold. So I was like, okay, there's, I knew it was snowing because we had been out a couple of hours earlier before we rested. So I unzipped the tent and I stepped out and it was just like, below me, I could see lightning and I could hear thunder in the distance. But where I was standing, I was in the middle of a blizzard and there was just wind and snow just whipping around me. And then I have this headlamp, which gives you just so much light. And it's like, whoop, that's all you see. (laughs) Just snow everywhere, just coming at you. So immediately I was like, whoa, like this is going to be a wild ride. (laughs) And I also remember thinking as we took our first few steps to begin, okay, I guess we're doing this. (laughs) I was about to ask, like, why is it that they didn't decide to postpone it or wait it out? Is there a reason for this? So the guide who led us that night had summited Kilimanjaro. I, I won't get the number right, but it was over 420 something times before that evening. So I had full trust in him and the other two guides who had summited hundreds of times themselves. Um, I had full trust in their decision to move forward because what, what the heck did I know? Do you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't even know the route on a sunny day. (laughs) So it, it with light. So I, I never questioned anything. They never gave me a reason to question any decisions that were made And also leaning back to my own intuition, I didn't have any sense of this is going to go really poorly. It was more again that like, oh, we're going into something really new and I really don't know what's going to happen. We're going to go as high as I've ever been. 
How will I do with the altitude? Will everybody on the team be okay? What does that look like? And, you know, we, we ate a meal and we put our packs on and we just started to move. And then, I mean, that was it. We were following the footsteps in the snow of whoever was before us. So it was just this looking down with a headlamp and oh, there's my friend's footprint. He just stepped here. So I'll step here Um, over and over and over and over and over. Must've felt like hours and hours on end. I mean, it probably was, but it must've felt even longer than that. (laughs) It was about six and a half, seven hours before we hit what's called Stella Point. And Stella Point is, I may, I won't get this exact, around 18,000 feet or so, 18,500 or so. So not too far from the summit, but also between Stella Point and the summit is where most individuals that quit, quit, they give up, which is, I would never have believed that if I hadn't experienced it and literally seen and looked into the eyes of absolutely exhausted, disoriented, done humans, just sitting on the side of the trail in the snowbank, like putting my hand out to be like, you can do it. And like, not even really having the strength to say that, but I was just like, so passionate that like, you can do it. You, you can see the summit sign. It's like 200 feet away. It's right there. Just take a few more steps. And they just weren't getting up. It was just like, I just, like the finger would be up, like no words, just that empty stare of like, I, what, where am I and how am I going to go further? So that was crazy to me, but having experienced it, I now understand. And it's so interesting, right? Think about in life, when you set a goal, how often you may have been so close to it, but it felt hard Mm -hmm. and you were tired and some challenge happened. And you just said, like, I'm done. Maybe, maybe if you got up and just took another step, you might have hit it. You might have got it, right? So that always stuck with me. And it's it's definitely pushed me in some situations since. Wow. What about the incline at that point? Was it, was it a really steep incline? So summit night, there were, yeah. I mean, it was the steepest of all of our maybe not all of our days. No, not all of our days. Cause there was one day before where it was very, very steep, but overall for the nearly eight hours it took us to get from base camp to the summit, there were points that were very, very steep. I remember at one point like this sort of, I felt like we were like winding around something. There was a point where things were much more jagged under my feet. So I do remember that versus flat or even just firm rockiness. Remember, we were hiking on a lot of snow, so I wasn't able to see underneath that, right? And it was also dark until about six and a half hours in. So it was just like, I actually made a rule to myself. I'm not looking forward anymore because when I would look forward, all I would see was headlamps, just lights, these little like lights, like an ant from some other hiker who was further ahead than me at times that was motivating, but more often than not, it was, okay, I still have to go that far. Right. So I kind of made this rule up in my own mind of, I'm only going to look back to see how far we've come and to celebrate how far we've come. And as we're moving forward, I'm just going to kind of keep my head down and follow those footsteps and take it one step at a time. So at one point I did look back and um, one of our guides pointed out there was these kind of orange hazy lights off in the distance. And he was like, do you see those orange lights? And we're all like, yeah, that's Kenya. And I thought, oh my God, that's another country. Wow. Like that's how far we have come in so many ways. Right. But around that six and a half hour mark, just before Stella point for me, I'll never forget I heard the guide behind me say to my friend, do you see that over there in the sky? And I kind of looked up for the first time and I don't know how long. And I was really struggling at that point. I had also heard a few minutes prior that we were about at least an hour, hour and 20 from the summit. 
I, my water hose was frozen. All of our water hoses were frozen. I didn't have energy and I didn't really even care to ask somebody to help me get my other bottle out of my pack. Like I was not in a great mental place. And my body was like, I remember thinking, are my legs moving? feel like I'm doing something, but I feel like everybody's going past me. So am I just going that slow or like, what is going on here? So he says, do you see that over there in the sky? And I look up and I see the very first sliver of the sunrise in this dark, dark sea of sky. And I remember thinking to myself, I even get emotional still talking about it. Like that is hope. (laughs) That is my motivation that the sun is rising. We are getting there. This is happening. Like in that moment, I knew just keep moving. That's all you have to do. So by the time we hit Stella Point, about 20 minutes after that, I was like a new, I was like totally reversed. I had more energy than you could imagine. I was ready to go. Like nobody was going to stop me from hitting that summit. Yeah, that's so, I can imagine that being so deeply emotional. It's like nature has its wonderful ways of like reminding you that, you know, beauty is ahead of you. Wonders are ahead of you. Like just hold on for a minute longer, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. That's exactly how I see it still. And clearly it's so real. Um, and it's been more than two years. Yeah. So again, just a great reminder in life. Just hang on. (laughs) There is something good coming, you know? Definitely. Yeah. And it's like when you do reach that end goal, you're humbled by it, right? You're not, you're not looking at it as like, oh, I'm so like, you know, I did it and blah, blah, blah. It was easy. It's the journey that makes it hard for you. And it's there set up to make it hard for you so that you can experience that success, but in the most humble manner. It's, it makes it all worth it in the end, right? You feel like, oh my gosh, we are here. Look at this, look around and think about all of the things that we experience along the way, right? right? Yeah. Um, if everything was easy, if I could have run up to the top of the mountain, what is so special about that? What am I learning? How am I growing? You know? Exactly. So you get to the top of the summit. You have finally made it. Whatever adrenaline, whatever, everything that just like pulled you to get there. Did you leave your mark? Did you put a flag down? Did you like walk me through that moment? I didn't leave anything. I don't know what it was. I I just didn't feel right <laughs> about leaving something on this amazing heavenly place in my in my mind, right? But I did actually carry with me what I called the flag of honor. So, I actually climbed as part of a team through Leukemia Lymphoma Society, and we ended up raising um with the support of hundreds of donors, I was able to give back almost $40,000 to LLS. And so one of the opportunities I gave people was I had this beautiful flag made and it was the um, LLS logo and just purple and white, just beautiful, like full size. And I offered people the opportunity to make a donation and in return, write on this flag in memory of somebody that was affected. It didn't have to be a blood cancer, just any cancer, somebody that you wanted to honor, somebody that might be going through something hard in their life or even yourself. It could be any of those things. So in the end, there were about probably close to 60 people that had signed this flag. And I really cherished that flag. And I, it was in my day pack the entire time. It it was on my back every day we hiked. And I felt this sense of responsibility almost. Um, And also like this honor that these people had allowed me to carry their loved one or this person with me to the top. And so I did take, I had the flag out at every camp we stopped at. I had a picture in front of every um, camp sign, including at the summit. I shared that with all of the donors, um, but I still have the flag today. I just, I couldn't leave it. It just didn't feel right. 
Um, I say this, and I might have said this already here, but if so, it's still worth repeating. I really do believe the only limits that exist are the ones we create in our mind. And we can change those stories. We can shift those limits. And the way we do that is by pushing ourselves just a little bit further to say, ooh, that limit I thought was here is actually here. Hmm, maybe it's really here. Could I go further, right? Obviously within reason. (laughs) I'm not encouraging people to just like, I'm gonna do this crazy thing and see what happens. But that really, knowing what I know of the mind and mindset and the coaching work that I do, we have the power to shift pathways in our mind. We have the power to learn and do new things. But we have to make the decision and be willing to try. Otherwise, you will never, you will never know. Yeah, I love that. Heather, thank you so much for today. I have had just such an amazing time listening to you and your whole perspective on things and how, you know, all of it, the the theme around just like being one with yourself, being present, taking that step. I I just love it. I'm so inspired by you. And I definitely think a lot of our listeners are going to come back with amazing things to say as well. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. I've loved this. It's been amazing. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to help support the show, please follow and subscribe. You can rate and review your feedback on any of our platforms listed in the description. I'd like to recognize our guests who are vulnerable and open to share their life experiences with us. Thank you for showing us we are human. Also, a thank you to our team who worked so hard behind the scenes to make it happen. Joe Mills. Chris Trzynski. Stefan Menzel. The show would be nothing without you. I'm Jenica, host and writer of the show, and you're listening to Multispective. Mm-hmm.